0: A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more to help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com.
1: COVID-19 patients need your help.
2: If you fully recovered from COVID-19
1: or unknowingly been exposed to it,
2: you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover.
1: Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies.
2: Visit vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood.
1: That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T.org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at vitalant.org.
2: You could help save lives.
1: This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings no other cabbage would do because no other cabbage tastes like you we love you napa cabbage just don't tell green onion napa cabbage one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty flavorful korean dumpling from bibigo go handcrafted go bibigo authentic korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. We have Josh Martin, Executive Vice President of Marketing at Decision Lens, and Ause Britt, Vice President of Growth Marketing at Terminus, back for part two of our discussion about taking on a new role as a marketing leader. I want to start off by asking you both whether you have mentors that you turn to for advice. Ause?
2: Yeah, I mean, I have... Some folks that I have worked with before that I, you know, do tap into for advice and guidance, but I'd say more recently, I've been turning more to some of these executive marketing leadership communities. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some really active ones on Slack that I have joined and I actually find them to be really great resources for information, not only just on the innovation side of what people have tried. Or access to vendors or things like that, but I find that folks, when you have smaller communities like that, are actually quite transparent about some of the challenges that they're facing. No big egos, kind of a thing. It's kind of you know full disclosure, and if you're they're facing challenges on how solving certain problems or, or guidance on stuff, they're pretty upfront about it. So I'm finding myself really turning more to those folks in terms of mentors or you want to just say like a sounding board or mm-hmm. a place for guidance so these are folks who are kind of in the same similar roles and positions and mostly on you know technology SaaS companies so a lot of our business models are similar and I think they've been really great resources for me
0: do you have any suggested hmm. communities that you would recommend to people
2: Yeah, I mean, some of them, the one I'm involved in the most is more of a closed community, like an Mm -hmm. online community that's on Slack. But the way it started was they were doing a roadshow. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Matt Hines, who has his own consultancy. So he's part of this community and was doing a roadshow here in the D.C. area right before the pandemic. Like this is, I think, late February, maybe early March. And it was like a breakfast event meeting that I went to with some marketing leaders in the D.C. area. And from there, they kind of formed the Slack community. And I've just found that to be a great resource and talking to other marketing leaders about anything really that's happening. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, I think
0: I don't rely on communities as much as i say does. I like the idea of it, but I know for me personally, I always struggle to like maintain delivering value versus just getting value. And I hate to be the person that's like, Hey, I have a question about something and then never being readily available to answer other people's questions. Not because I don't want to just because, you know, until it's top of mind, it's not top of mind, but I have, you know, folks that I've worked with in the past, I'll say, and I worked for a, a guy named Kevin Alansky, who's, you know, a pretty well-connected individual mm-hmm. in the DC tech scene, super nice guy so i'll talk to him about things or i'll talk to you know our former vp of product marketing who was at logi with us brian brinkman but i usually rely on different people for different things so i very rarely have the same kind of question over and over again like hey how do i do marketing but when we were having <laughs> issues at brightspot moving a lead through the funnel like we were generating a lot of top of funnel interest and we were getting people on the phone, but they just weren't moving forward. Like I would call someone like a Kevin, right? Or if we're dealing with positioning issues, I would probably call Brian and be like, hey, hey, how did you deal with this in the past? Like, what was your experience doing that? And I always find it's useful because, A, there's a level of trust there that I feel comfortable with. And I think that's what I was saying about her community, right? It's not just this open forum of freewheeling Reddit question and answer kind of a thing. It's trusted group That you can talk to and say, this is what's not working. Like I wouldn't have called anybody in the world and been like, hey, I don't know why none of my leads are moving through the funnel, because I don't want to like a fool,
2: even if I make you one
0: behind closed doors. But (laughs) I think having those people that you respect, the term mentor to me feels a little bit more about career orientation rather than Mm -hmm. advice share of equals in some ways. Yeah. But I've found that the people here in the you know kind of d c area where we are is very collaborative it's a very small community, so everyone winds up you know passing through each other's purview several times over the course of their career and I think that helps because you know you may wind up working with these people again
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah it's it's just nice to have people you can bend their ear and find out what they did in a similar circumstance and Mm -hmm. that they're willing
0: to take your call and just be nice about it and not make it feel like you're burdening them
1: right it you know what goes around comes around you know or what comes around goes around whatever that saying is Mm -hmm. so you're both now several months into your new roles and you know what were the first 30 to 60 days like did you have a specific plan And how did that work out? Were there changes you had to make along the way? Jose, how about you?
2: Yeah. So for my first 30 or 60 days, I, I wanted to make sure that I had a good understanding of the product and its use cases and benefits and stuff. So I could spend a lot of time on that. And then also just setting up a bunch of meet and greets with Mm -hmm. people throughout the organization, not only within our own marketing team, but I do think when you work in a B2B organization, you have to build a really strong relationship with sales and making sure that you're building that bridge and that collaboration. And that's talking to folks in sales leadership, you know, from the, the CRO to the, the VP and right all the way down, you know, to the directors and maybe some AEs to get their perspective on how things are working, working well or, or what they'd like to see more of. And then for me, I'm I'm kind of an analytics person, too. So I like to dig into the numbers and see how things are going. And then, you know, listening to some sales calls that was also on my plan. We use Gong to get a better understanding of how people kind of, you know, pitch the product, what kind of reaction do we get from prospects? What's what seems to be resonating with them, you know, when they hear it and and what's not. So that was part of my own, you know, plan in the first 30, 60 days. And then also really just understanding what the goals were and how we were tracking, you know, towards those goals in terms of metrics and, and numbers and then understanding from the team, you know, what was working, and what
0: was not working. Before I answer, I actually have a follow-up for I'll say in terms of Gong. Before I left Perfect Sense, we had implemented, I believe we actually chose Chorus, and but mm-hmm. I, ne- I wasn't there when we put it into, into effect. Did you find it useful in terms of, because you and I are both analytically oriented, in terms of understanding how easy it is to identify the pitch and whether they're saying it right and what the questions were from your customer and prospect base about the product? Like, were you able to get useful information out of the system easily that you couldn't have gotten from watching each of those kind of phone calls independently?
2: Yeah, because they have some pretty strong search capabilities, you know, within Gong, if there's certain keywords or things that you're looking at, or you can kind of jump to the portion of the call or you wanna hear what the prospect is saying versus just hearing what your account executive is saying or vice versa. If you wanna hear how they are kind of pitching the product, you can kind of jump through it. So I think through some efficiencies, it does bring that to the table. And then you can also look at calls depending on what the sales stage is. So if you wanna look at early calls, like first calls with new prospects versus ones that might be deeper um, into the process, or maybe customer calls for renewals, it allows you to to easily search and pinpoint certain areas within those conversations that you may want to listen to. Otherwise, I think it gets kind of difficult without a tool like that. If you need to sit through like 40 minute conversations to really just pick up certain nuggets, it's a lot more efficient way to kind of get to maybe some certain things that you're looking for.
1: Okay. I've been doing some reading about gong, and it took me a while to cotton on to the fact that a gong is a good thing in this context, because I remember the gong show when the <laughs> last thing you wanted was the gong,
2: gong
1: yeah. right? So <laughs> Mark, kind of you're funny. alienating
0: three quarters of your audience with a reference like that. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> that's my specialty, Josh. You should know that. So let's shift our focus to, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, B2B marketing and sales. What does it take to succeed? We've talked on this podcast a lot about B2B and there are so many different points of view. I'd love to hear, Josh, what you think it takes to succeed in B2B.
0: Yeah. I'm going to start by answering the last question, which I was able to avoid answering before <laughs> my, my humorous quip about uh, gong, but I think this actually dovetails to the current question. And for me, I came in with a plan. I had a 30, 60, 90 day plan. It was very overcomplicated because that's what I like to do. You know, it had a month by month breakdown of you know inputs and outputs and all this crazy stuff. Right, right. Uh, I'm sure this is a family friendly audience, so I won't use the word I was going to use. <laughs> and what I found was like in B2B marketing, I had to be agile and adapt and I had to be able to change and solve problems in different ways. So one mm. you know, identifiable example is I came in with this idea about marketing for the company. And as soon as I joined, I realized that there was one particular use case that we had gotten a lot of traction with, and that was going to be what we needed to focus on to drive leads and opportunities for the business. There's actually two, and I'll talk about the second one in just a second. So instead of thinking about these high ideal minded, how we market the company, it was how do we develop campaigns to support this use case? How do we get smart quickly enough? And we had a lot of good data, which was amazing from the team that had built it already, but you have to adjust and you have to adapt and you have to look at the data and make decisions and make those decisions quickly. I mean, you have to give the data time to kind of manifest itself, but if you can't change what you're doing based on what you're seeing in the marketplace, then you're going to be dead in the water. And, you know, the one thing I usually hang my hat on as a person is I am extremely good. And I don't ever say that about myself because I I don't like to brag, but very good at problem solving and finding unique ways to solve a problem. So we can look at things 10 different ways. And I think I can pick up the 11th and 12th way to figure it out. And that's always how I'm approaching things is, this is not going to be the end state of where we are. How can we make it better? How can we creatively solve this problem? Because there is definitely a solution and there's always a solution to the problem.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit vitalent.org today. So, I say, mm-hmm. w- what do you think is I hate to ask the secret to success, but what is your <laughs> philosophy about B2B marketing and sales?
2: Well, I really think it's important especially in B2B versus B2C because You know, we tend to have longer sales cycles. We have larger, you know, average sales prices, the buyer's journey. There are a lot of people involved in it. It's not really a transactional business like B2C is. So I think it's critical to have that marketing and sales alignment. You really have to kind of build that bridge and work very closely together to see the most success. So I always try to to kind of making sure I'm building that relationship and beyond sales, there's now another area that kind of is kind of the connective tissue with us is a sales operations or revenue operations team too, that seems to be nestled Mm -hmm. in there as well. So it's kind of like a tripod, you know, they support both sales and marketing, but they're also becoming more of a critical, I think, piece of the puzzle Working also with revenue operations because they're the ones that do a lot of the the reporting out of, you know, your CRM system in terms of performance or setting the goals and targets. But, yeah, I do think it's really important. And, and you know, in B2B, there's been this shift more to account-based marketing yeah. uh, or running more of a dual funnel where you're having your inbound Activities because I think you always should have some kind of inbound program, but then you also have this account based marketing program. And for account based marketing to actually really be successful, you've got to have that sales and marketing alignment and working together and supporting each other and making sure you're both like, tart, you're, you're both bought in to the list of accounts that you're going after and what that ideal customer profile looks like. And then um, revving up all the marketing activities to drive engagement, but then sales has to hold, has to, you know, hold up their, their part of the the bargain too, in terms of pursuing those same accounts. So I think it's absolutely critical, especially in account-based marketing that you have that sales and marketing alignment.
0: I was just going to say, I think that can't be an understated point. You know, I've interviewed at, at different companies and talked to people at different companies and It does feel like some places there's tension between marketing and sales and B2B. Mm -hmm. And I I personally don't understand it. I mean, I get why there's tension in order. Things happen, right? People are stressed out. But my philosophy and my approach is, you know, I'm building a pipeline for sales. They're going to be the ones that close the deal. So Mm -hmm. if I'm not making, you know, serving them and servicing them in a way to build pipeline, then there's just a fundamental misalignment at the organizational level. Like me bringing in an MQL means absolutely nothing unless that person moves down funnel. Mm -hmm. And I think to Ase's point, and not to understate it is you have to be aligned. You have to understand that you are a team and you're in it together because marketing cannot be successful without sales. And generally speaking, sales has a hard time growing and expanding at an exponential rate without marketing support. Uh, So I just think, yeah, to, getting that alignment, talking to the sales organization early when you start a new job, understand what they like and what they don't like and how you maybe can fix some of those little things to give them some easy wins out of the gate earns you credibility.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think you need that feedback loop too, that it's not this one-way flow of marketing activities and air cover and, and generating engagement and demand we need to hear back from sales. We need to hear back what's resonating or what what part of the messaging are people kind of latching onto or what's kind of falling on deaf ears. And I think that gets lost a lot of the times too, that you don't get a lot of, because they're market-facing, like they're talking to the people and making sure that you've kind of got that 360 communication loop happening.
0: I'd say it's more like a 180 because when the leads are not good, they'll usually tell you pretty quickly.
2: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they're, they're quick to tell you that.
0: They're very, very quick to let you know that the leads aren't converting.
1: That relationship, marketing and sales could be a podcast oh, yeah. series in itself because it is it is a, every organization I've worked in, it's been a source of tension. And especially in B2B operations, for some reason, and channel organizations as well, there's been that tension but i think the point you raised or say about account based marketing to me that makes a that's a leap forward for b2b mm-hmm. because it personalizes the person you're selling to right and b2b is kind of a misnomer and i've talked about it a lot on the podcast yeah, you're selling to a business, but there are human beings mm-hmm. in that business. And, and thinking of them as anything but human beings kind of, it's just a false premise because you're selling to human beings. Just like Coke sells to real human beings, it's a much more complex sale, but they're human beings making the decision.
2: Yeah, and in that case, it's sometimes even more important to build those relationships mm. than anything else because they're making some really big ticket item decisions that they're actually, they're hanging their hat on that too, right? So they choose to go with your product. They're investing in it in a big way too. So they have a vested interest in making sure it's successful. Yeah, I think one of the challenges with that the term ABM, and
0: I've had a lot of, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about this, is what does it actually mean and how do you actually support it? Like saying you have a list of target customers is not really abm per se mm-hmm. and you know in order to do abm well you need to have an entire operation kind of dedicated to outreach content creation that's specific messaging that's specific to these different audiences that you're targeting otherwise you're just you know slightly tailoring a message so i think there is and maybe that's you know you could do that on another podcast mark i'm sure you've done abm you know a dozen times already because it's well, such a fascinating we talked a little topic. bit
1: about it and to me, it's kind of like direct marketing. It's kind of like um, really learning a lot about an individual and appealing to their needs and not thinking of an account as a monolith. So, in a way, yeah, account based marketing is really not the right term, is it? Because it's about, the, it should be about the individual and what their specific role is.
0: Well, I think it's about getting smart on an organization so you can yeah. talk to those individuals about their specific pain, but it should be more than one individual because, you know, as we all know in B2B, there's a buying committee usually of, mm-hmm. I don't know how Gardner keeps updating the numbers. I think it's like 47 people now.
2: <laughs> I hope well, not.
0: they would know.
1: They would know. <laughs> I think they have 47 people figuring that out.
0: Yes, at least. <laughs>
1: So as we said, and probably have said uh, more times than I'd like, this is a pandemic. So as we close out, I'm kind of interested in how you found these new roles in these strange times and whether you have any advice for listeners who might be contemplating a search or in the middle of a search for the next thing. I will say, what do you have on that?
2: Yeah, well, I was actually, um, I was looking for a new opportunity, and through this, the opportunity that I found was actually through a LinkedIn post I saw through a connection. Terminus was hiring for a number of roles, and I was actually connected to the account executive who I had worked with when we purchased Terminus while at Logi. And uh, he had shared the posting and I saw it and I was like, well, this is interesting. So it was a product that I obviously I had used before and was a big fan. And um, so it kind of piqued my interest. And so I got it through networking, really got my foot in the door. I contacted him and I said, tell me more, you know, about this, about this position and, you know, the organization, you know, the marketing team. And he kind of passed my name along to HR and it kind of went through there. So I think... um, Oftentimes, I think when you are looking for leadership positions, a lot of it is through networking or through recruiters. Not everybody posts these things so publicly, but I will say what I've found during the pandemic is organizations are getting more flexible on uh, hiring remote employees, especially in leadership positions. It used to be where they didn't want you in the office or a local candidate. But now the more companies I've spoken with are open to people being remote. And I think going through this whole process with COVID-19 and seeing that yes, people can are held accountable. Yes, people are working with the video calls, they can, you know, be feel like they're part of the organization and connected. They're more open to that. But I would say with that there seems to be a lot more competition for any open positions that are out there. So it seems like there are more roles, but for each role instead of having 30 say applicants, now you have 300 because mm. um, it's just opening up the different uh, folks that are eligible for the position.
1: Yeah, Josh.
0: Yeah, I think I have a couple ways to answer that for some senior folks and then for more junior level folks. I think Al's point about network is absolutely critical. You know, especially for us in this area. I think it probably is applicable anywhere. But anytime you have an opportunity to leverage an existing relationship, I know for us, if we get an internal referral from anybody, we will interview them because mm-hmm. we think it's the right thing to do. And if they're coming from a, an internal employee as a reference, like you get the call, right? And then it's up to you to kind of distinguish yourself. And when I was looking for a new opportunity, I, I had talked to a couple of people in my network that had things that were available and had started investigating some of those options before I wound up choosing to go with Decision Lens, and that's it's just so important. But I think a part of that is the reputation you build at the companies that you work for, and your willingness to go above and beyond the job as it's stated to be. And I think sometimes people are afraid to step outside of their box, and mm-hmm. they're worried about either you know the sales team getting mad or someone else on the marketing team getting mad. I'm not suggesting you you know jump into someone else's swimming and start splashing around, but there's always an opportunity to do good work, to do more than you're being asked or to go the extra mile. And people really, really remember that. And that's always been something that's important to me is, you know, people will say, maybe not remember exactly what I did, but that, you know, the work was diligent, that it was creative, that it was interesting. Fortunately, they don't remember the dumb things that I do because I try to uh, <laughs> minimize those. Um, I've got a
1: notebook full of those of my own. Seriously, right? You can talk to my wife. She'll give you a whole
0: list. It's all going in the memoir. Yeah. I do think (laughs) that that's really important is establishing a reputation for yourself Mm -hmm. uh, and paying it off every day, right? Doing good work and being diligent, being hardworking. And those are easy things to say. But when you are asked to do something that's outside of your comfort zone, a lot of people are scared to do that. Rightfully so, right? It's a risky business environment right now. The way that i found my opportunity was interesting i had been out interviewing places and i was in deep stages with one organization was waiting for a final offer and the ceo of our company john soddy messaged me on linkedin it was a tuesday and it was like two in the morning and i happened to be awake because i don't really sleep that much and i wrote back to him and he's like hey you know i'm looking for an evp of marketing i'm looking for a very specific profile you seem to fit that profile do you want to talk i was like okay yeah i was like hey just so you know Really late stage with this other company, but this sounds really interesting, like, let's have a conversation. And it just snowballed. And by that Friday afternoon, we had struck a deal. And it was pretty amazing at the speed in which it took place. And I know it was surprising for them, too, because they had just started looking. I think I was the first person they interviewed, which gave me a fair shot at not looking silly. And sometimes you just have to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, no one ever talks about luck in their career or just being at the right place or responding to the email at the right minute. But, you know, sometimes that's how it works. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And boy, I'm not going to continue ignoring the messages I get on LinkedIn. (laughs) Except for me. (laughs) Except for (laughs) me. Well, this was a really great discussion, I think. And for anybody taking on a new role, looking for a new role, managing things during the pandemic. This is a great guide. I really want to thank you both for joining me.
0: Before we wrap, Mark, do you want to let Ase do a little pitch for Terminus? Because I know that is a solution targeted at probably your your target audience here. All right. <laughs> well,
2: thank you. Well, I don't have anything really prepared. This is my elevator pitch, huh?
0: You, did, you, <laughs> went, you went through training. You should be ready for this. Come on. <laughs>
2: This is an account-based marketing technology platform that helps build that tight marketing and sales alignment to really focus on the accounts that people care about. At Terminus, we have actually really built out the platform over the last year and through some acquisitions through organic and inorganic growth that we've enhanced it. But on top of being a targeted platform for serving ads to specific accounts, we also now have chat functionality and web personalization and email signatures. So it's definitely something I think that should be part of any B2B companies go to market strategy if Mm -hmm. you're looking at account based marketing. Is looking at a platform that's really going to help you scale.
1: Interesting. You and I, separate to this, we should uh, have a discussion about that. I think it would be interesting to dig down into that.
2: Mm -hmm. Sure. Happy to.
1: Thank you both for joining me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Asa. Good speaking to you guys.
1: All right. That does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Sheb Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy and see you next time. Oh,